Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a special episode today. We are talking to General Mike Hayden, who uh, has a new book out called The Assault on Intelligence. Um, you are a, a, a fairly regular presence uh, on, on the various right. cable news right. networks and so forth. And many of our listeners will remember your public presence from the George W. Bush right. administration. Right. Now, make sure I have the, the I, I guess in the, in the, you were NSA. I was NSA as a Clinton appointee. Right. Carried on by President Bush. President Bush then asked me to be the first principal deputy director of national intelligence, which I did for about a year. And that's part of the post-9-11 reform exactly, of the intelligence exactly. community. Exactly. So I was actually the, the, the first one in, in that position. And, and then he asked me to go from there after about a year to CIA, where I served for the remainder of his term. And then President Obama asked me to stay on. And I, I stayed for about three weeks while we were waiting for Leon Panetta to be confirmed. Right. So here, we, we're, we're going to talk about the book, and we're going to talk about uh, the sort of the elephant in the room for everything <laughs> that is happening right now. One thing I want to mention is I, I want to uh, share a word from our sponsor. Still need a Father's Day gift? Hand the man a cold brew. Give Pops the ultimate summer surprise with a subscription to Grady's Cold Brew. He gets 36 cups of New Orleans-style iced coffee delivered directly to his door. The cold brew kit includes everything he will need to create a smooth, velvety cold brew at home. Just add water. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. So the first thing I want to ask is, is this: You are a career Air Force right. uh, military. That's right. where you, that's your intelligence background. Um, tell us, and and I'm remembering from the book. I think you uh, received your commission in '67 or '69. Commissioned '67. Actually entered active duty in '69. The Air Force let me go two more years to graduate school. Got it. Okay. What does, I think at least many people think they, whether they really do have an idea is one thing, but think they know what, you know, kind of someone who's an army general right. or, or admiral kind of has done through the, through their decades of service. Career in military intelligence. Sure. What is the job? So um, there's a great variety in the job. So the first thing I did was go to a technical school to just learn some skills. And you have to keep in mind that's 69. It's the height of the Vietnam War. And although I wasn't assigned to Vietnam, uh, we learned the skills there that one would need to support that kind of war effort. I then went to Omaha 
Strategic Air Command headquarters at the time, which was really a blessing uh, because that had a global mission. So for an intelligence officer to have the widest possible field of view was a real advantage. I went from there to Guam, uh, again, still during the war. And so there I supported B-52 operations out of Guam against Southeast Asia. Got out of the lane a bit coming home, uh, became an ROTC instructor for four years in Vermont. Back into intelligence, a little more training, to Korea at a tactical fighter wing. I came back to the United States and uh, did some what we call professional military education. The, the Department of Defense is actually quite good at trying to make sure its officers are as well-developed as possible. And then I entered into attache and language training to be the air attache to the People's Republic of Bulgaria during the, the communist period, okay. which was a, uh, I still describe as my second best job ever. Okay. Uh, came, How long were you there? I was there with two years. Okay. Two years. And, 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 and we were really enjoying it, but we had children, and there are lots of stresses and strains on their education and so on. So we came back after two. Um, came back, served at Air Force headquarters uh, for an extended period of time. I was selected to go over and work on George H.W. Bush's NSC staff back to the Pentagon to support the Secretary of the Air Force. And these aren't intelligence jobs. So I've, I've gotten a mix of things mm -hmm. here. And then I got promoted to Brigadier General, one star, picked up again to do intelligence work. And I became the head of intelligence for American forces in Europe. And, and Josh, you know, sometimes the magic works, sometimes it doesn't. So I go to Europe in 1993. And what's the war du jour? The Balkans, right. Yugoslavia. I speak Bulgarian. I've lived in the Balkans. I can apply right background right place, to the right task. Time. Yeah. Uh, from there, uh, back to the States after three years, to Texas, from Texas to Korea again. And then uh, in Korea, I get invited back to interview for the director of NSA job. And uh, George Tenet was the head of intelligence then. George selected me. And then we pick up the story where we began it, from NSA to DNI to CIA. So, uh, you know, uh, if you ask me what I did, I'm an intel guy. Right. But I had a lot of policy jobs, and I had the instructor job, too. Now, two, two questions on that. So, Texas, that's the... I can't remember the exact name, but that's the Air Force Intelligence Agency. It is. Agency. I, was, okay. I, was, I was commander of what was called then the Air Intelligence Agency. That, that's right. Now, this may seem like a random question, but wasn't there there was one, there was that Cold War incident where wasn't it – I'm not sure if it was a Bulgarian emigre in London who was, who was assassinated, the, the, the umbrella. Were you in that era? Were you there? No, I, I, was, I was a little behind that era. That okay. happened before I got there, but it, it sure did make you pay attention to your security right. while, while you were, <laughs> while you were in, 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 uh, in Bulgaria. Actually, you had that incident, uh, incident um, and you also had uh, the Bulgarian who attempted to assassinate the pope. Right. And that, that actually took place right right before we, we went to the Balkans. And it, it's pretty clear that the Bulgarian service did have a hand in that. Yeah. Now, was, was that assassination in London, was that, was that the Bulgarian? Uh... It, was, it was done by the Bulgarians against a Bulgarian who had then taken up an emigre, someone who left uh, communist Bulgaria, and then became uh, a fairly active in broadcasting back to Bulgaria in native Bulgarian, things the Bulgarian government didn't want the people to hear. Right. Yeah, so, but again, in broad daylight, a poison tip of an umbrella poked into somebody crossing as a pedestrian on a bridge in London. Yeah. 
Now, now that was the was the Bulgarian, uh, you know, spy, whatever you want, a secret police, particularly aggressive for the other uh, Warsaw Pact. Yeah, they, they they did they they did have a reputation. Uh, the, the the service was called Dzhavna Sigurnost, state security, um, obviously mentored by the KGB. And, and for, for reasons that I, I don't mean to use to accuse the Bulgarians, uh, the Bulgarians were often described as the 16th Republic of the Soviet Union. All right, so among the Warsaw Pact satellites, it, it, it had a reputation for being the most loyal to the Soviets. Now, again, I said I didn't want to be accusatory because there, there are powerful reasons in Bulgarian history. It's like pan-Slav. Uh, there's a, there's yeah. a pan-Slav aspect to it, but they both use roughly the same alphabet. They both use Cyrillic. In fact, the Bulgarians will tell you uh, Kirill and Methodius invented the alphabet for them, and then right. they exported it to the <laughs> Russians. Um, you, you do have orthodoxy as the religion, and, and the Russians liberated the Bulgarians not once but twice. They liberated, liberated them in the 19th century from the Turks and liberated them from the Nazis in, in the 20th century. So there is, there is a sense of affinity, mm-hmm. all right, that is historically grounded. But from, from my point of view, it just made them a tough, loyal service and one need be careful. Right, right. So here's, an, here's another question I, want, I wanted to ask you. Um, I, I, I should know this number. Are there 17 intelligence agencies in the in the, 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 com- the community is comprised of depending on how you count okay. 16 or 17 okay. and and the, and the wild card is whether or not you count the dni itself as one got of the it. agencies got it yeah. so here's my question um i think probably most of our our listeners will have a sense that there's there's a certain uh you know bureaucratic element everybody sure. kind of wants their own uh, their own uh agency and so forth but in a in a um, military context right so each of the services I believe have their own agencies and then there's the DIA is yeah. what for the Air Force sure why is there an Air Force intelligence agency so it's 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 complicated <laughs> all right um, and so what you have inside each of the services all right are, are in intelligence activities that by and large retail intelligence, all right. So what you've got are people in the Air Force who present intelligence to the Air Force. They're, they're, I'm, I'm being binary here, and life is never binary, but I think that's a fair description. Mm-hmm. So what it is they do is make sure the Air Force can use intelligence created by others. All right. Okay. So they're, they're not fundamentally the creators of the information. They are the appliers. Of the information, so they're drawing a lot of that from, from the other agencies, from the big agencies. Got from it. The, okay, and okay. so it's so if I, if I did this on a chart in front of us, all right, I'd have three layers, and the services would be down there at the bottom layer, all right, and and there are five, all right, because you throw the Coast Guard in there as well, mm-hmm. all right, but at the very top layer, you've got six, and those are the big, fairly well-known, muscular national collection agencies. Got it. Okay, NSA collects via signals, CIA, human beings, NGA, imagery, and, and so on. Okay, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, so I'm I mean, they're, they're, okay, they're, I, I mean it, it sounds like yeah. we have too many men on the field, we should be permanently penalized five yards. <laughs> um, but but, but there, there, there is a logic to it. Again, right. the, the, the best way of thinking of, of it is the folks down there in the services are retailers, your wholesale production elements are up here at the top. Got it. Okay. So, so into the, the first decade of, of, of this century, 
Um, now, were you still in uniform when you were at yes. the CIA? I, I actually okay. did, you know, and that, and that was a choice. And, and the president uh, and I talked about it. Actually, he talked to me about it. <laughs> uh, in essence, saying, Mike, uh, there are some people who are uncomfortable with your staying in uniform. I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but we may have to come back to you. And my answer was, Mr. President, there are personal reasons why I would want to stay in uniform, but if need be, I will leave. And it turned out I didn't have to. Got it. Okay. And now, I, I did retire from the Air Force about seven or eight months before I left CIA. So my last half a year there, I was civilian. in civilian. Got it. Okay. So in the in the Bush era at, at NSA and CIA, you were, you know, a, a public, I mean, you may not have seen yourself as a political figure, but you were part of the politics of that era and stuff. So, so what was that like? Yeah. So um, I, I, I'd probably use slightly different words, but no question that I felt I needed to have a bit of a public profile. All right. Uh, and I actually began that at NSA, actually in the Clinton years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's 99? 99. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm almost three years there before President Bush comes on board. Um, and, and, and the thought uh, was that um, we were doing a lot of things, and uh, some of them would probably trouble some Americans. And so it was probably better for us to go out there and put a human face on ourselves and to the degree possible mm-hmm. expose, explain right. what it was uh, we were doing. The, the phrase I used was put a human face on our agency. Uh, another phrase I used with my folks was, you know, if we don't say something about ourselves, the first bad news story about us will act like gas in a vacuum. It'll, right. it'll fill up the whole space. Right, right. And, and so we consciously went out. And, and, and Josh, there was a subplot here that was really important. This is an NSA, all right? Um, th- there, we really didn't have many civil liberties concerns, and no one really barked at us about it when we were intercepting Soviet strategic rocket forces communications going from headquarters out to ICBM fields. Mm -hmm. And the phrase I use, looking for words of interest, like launch. Right. Right. Um, But the 21st century targets we were going at were were not nation states with their own communication structures. They were terrorists, proliferators, and, and so on using commonly available communication systems where your communications coexisted with theirs. Right. And so if you wanted us to do what it was we did for you then, now, you had to admit that we're going to be in a place where your stuff's going to be skitting by too. Right, right. And, and we didn't think the Americans would, uh, would accept that, would give us their vote of legitimacy and, unless we made that more public. So we just consciously raised our profile. Got it. I, I think uh, I, I was, before we started recording, I mentioned that I'm also I was also reading James Clapper's book, and he makes that point that in the in the Cold War, you have you have basically two separate information right. systems right. in this stuff. Now, a lot of our listeners, you know, there's the stuff with Edward Snowden, right. and all, and and before that, um, all the debates about uh, uh, you know warrantless surveillance sure. and so forth in in uh, before before that happened. Do you look back and say, "Well, we could have done this differently, or we didn't need to do this"? Or what? What's your yeah, what's so, the retrospective take? So, on that? so the retrospective lessons learned. All right, no regrets. All right. Uh, at the time, I thought what we did what we did was effective, lawful, and appropriate. And my position now is 
We were effective, lawful, and appropriate. But there were some things within the American political context that, that we should have done. One is is that when we – and this is all post-9-11 mm-hmm. stuff, all yep. right? So yep. we're, we're responding to, to very different circumstances. And I, I like your point from Jim's book that they had their comms, we had ours, uh, you know, it, it was okay. Right. Well, what happened at 9-11 was it's not just that the comms were intermingled. It was our enemy was intermingled with us. I mean, we had, we, had, we had a foreign-based attack on the United States that emanated from within the United States. Right. All right. And so we have, we have a new challenge. And, and so we, 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 we strapped on a bunch, of, a bunch of things. And if you're interested in details, we can do that. But, but, but – and again, I thought they were effective, mm-hmm. lawful, and appropriate. But what we did based upon the political um, direction of the administration was to confine our briefing – of those things to a very small body of people in the Congress. Now, that's perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, Congress shall be kept fully and currently this informed. This is the group of eight. That, and we yeah. did exactly right. We, rather than brief all the committees and lay it all out, we, we briefed the gang of four, sometimes the gang of eight. I was the briefer. Trust me. I was as forthcoming as I could possibly be because I was going to be around when the political guys were gone. Right. Okay. Right. And so was the agency. Right. All right. right? And, and so we were incentivized to just lay it all out there. And, 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 and we did. But when they later become public, the information about the programs, uh, the courage of the people we had briefed was, was fairly limited. And, and to be fair to them, we had put them in a very, very difficult position because we had briefed eight out of 535. And, right. and there they were, you know, feeling like uh, the settlers surrounded in hostile territory right. by, by everyone else. So the lesson learned there was, although it was important to keep it secret, we probably should have been more aggressive, briefing more people. Not more fully. We did that fine. Right. We just didn't brief enough of them. So that's one. Uh, the second lesson learned was with regard to metadata, that's, that's uh, data about the call rather than right. the content of the call. Uh, that became a bit of a secret sauce for us. It was a very powerful tool. Uh, we probably should have been not just more informing of more members of Congress. We probably should have begun to show a bit of leg about that to the general public. Got it. Because when it finally comes out, it's uh, – well, to, to use a phrase, we could have inoculated right. a lot of people right. against – it coming out the way it did by being more forthcoming earlier in a, in a more public way. Now, that's not easy, mm-hmm, all right? Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, we probably should have tried harder. So one of the things you talk about in the book is, and I, be, I be, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is when you're running the Air Force Intelligence Agency down in Texas. Uh, yeah. That And this is in the 90s. So this is kind of when the internet is right. is becoming a thing. And there's a debate about, you know, what are we trying to do? Exactly. Are we trying to do, and and I'll try to explain for um, our, our listeners I, what I think you're describing. The difference between sort of a cyber approach is we're, we're going to control the network infrastructure. We'll go where we want to go. We'll right. prevent other people versus information dominance, right. which is sort of like information operations right. and kind of what the Russians it, did. Exactly. Okay. So, so take it from there. Yeah. So so I'm down there in San Antonio, which is where this is. The Air Force is kind of on the cutting edge of the cyber thing. Now, why – so why is that? Tell uh, us be, why be, that is. Because the cyber domain looks more like air and space than it does land and sea. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. these are domains of conflict. Right, right, right. right. And, and, and the physics of cyber feel more like okay. space – 
and air than they mm-hmm. do. All right. So right. it's a natural thing. All right. So we were there. I had a lot of bright thinkers. Uh, they sat me down and said, it's a domain, General Land, Sea, Air, Space, Cyber. It's a domain. We're going to go fight there. We're going to dominate there, just like we do in the other domains, because that's what the American people pay us to do. Right. Got it. But there was a, there was a theological debate. And uh, I, I think I say in the book something with all the intensity of medieval Jesuits. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the debate was, was over, were we in the cyber business, which you just described, you know, we're, we're, we're working the network where we could go steal data, protect data, or whatever, or we were, were we in the more broadly defined information business for which cyber would have been a subset, all right? And so if you're in the information business, you're talking about deceptions, psychological operations, public diplomacy, perceptions, and so on. And so we, we had a, a pretty serious debate. And since America now has a cyber command, you can tell how this ended up. Right. We stayed over here in cyber. A couple reasons. One is um, cyber was hard enough. <laughs> okay. Information was incredibly complex. And you can't really work in the information-dominant space very long without start starting to bump your shins on the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, and, and other legal things, policy things, constitutional things right. in the American system. So we, by and large, have become a cyber force. I, I tell the story in the book that the Russians went to door number two. Uh, the, the Russians went over to the information-dominance door and uh, personified by the writings of the fellow who is now chief of the general staff, uh, Valery Gerasimov, who wrote articles uh, about contactless warfare, using informational weapons against the real target and adversary's population. And frankly, they, they just followed that playbook quite closely, 2015 and 16, against the American election. And the problem, Josh, that presents for us is as we respond to it, we don't have the doctrinal framework that compels us to think along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so in, in addition to figuring out how to counter, we, we actually have to embrace and learn more about what it is right? because we don't do it. So, okay. So one and, – and one thing I was very struck about, you talk about this in the book, that we – you know, one of our – one of our, our – our, things that our website has focused on for years and years and years is the sort of subterranean part of politics and conspiracy theories right. and stuff like that. So when Jade Helm was happening uh, in real time, uh, we yeah. were all over that and, you know, this thing and that thing. You were? You were? Oh, oh, oh big God time, big you. time, big yeah. time. We were, we, we did makes, a lot on that. That makes one of you. Well, the, the thing, the thing is that, that, um, there was an article that was written in 2015 and, and you're probably familiar with it. It's by, by a guy named Adrian Chen in the New York Times Magazine. And he did this whole kind of expose on the uh, Internet Research or what, what I got Internet say, Research Agency, agency yeah. um, when they were, you know, they they were they had some like hoaxes down mm-hmm. in the in in the Gulf, you right. know, go, uh, our Gulf, you know, um, Gulf states, uh, and just you know, it, it really seemed like trying stuff out exactly. without any particular exactly. angle. And when I thought back, I was like, you know. The Jade Helm thing just seems so like that because here's the thing is that he um, – he so he writes this piece in 2015 and he sees these these Twitter accounts talking about like Ebola, you know, mm-hmm. stoking all right. these different things. And then about a year later, he's checking up on them again and they've all refashioned themselves as like Trump supporter accounts. 
In any case, okay. So let's. Talk, one of the things you say in the book is is that the actual, um, you know, cyber part of what happened, hacking into the DNC and stuff, is a relatively minor part of it. Right. So. How do we – everybody's been hearing for two years now or a year and a half now about what the Russians d- did. But what is the conceptual framework, kind of sure. what you're talking about, to what they, what they so, did? So we pick it up with uh, Valery Gerasimov and, and informational weapons and so on. So the first population that the Russians bubble is their own, all right? And that's a, that's a question of political control. And they're actually quite good at it. And then they begin to experiment with it in what they call the near abroad. And so you've got a Russian informational bubble over their occupation and annexation of the Crimea. All right. If you recall back in the day, the little green men, Mm -hmm. no patches, balaclavas, who are those guys? And I mean, obviously, it becomes clear fairly quickly. But in the meantime, it's just not quite as binary as you would need to generate immediate political action on the part of countries that would object changing borders by force in Europe. Right. And, and, and so under this kind of informational bubble, uh, the Russians get to do what they do in the Crimea, and it's a fait accompli. We see the height of their art form after their, their surrogates and probably some Russian professionals shoot down a Malaysian airliner uh, over the Ukraine. And they use this informational assault to cloud the issue so darkly that a lot of good people just put up their hands and say, well, you know, we'll probably never know. I mean, I looked at it and said, well, I know what happened. This is pretty obvious. Right. And, and in fact, in the last week or two, a European commission has said, right. here's right. what happened. Right, right, right. But in the meantime, the, the Russians obfuscate this so much that almost all of their own population believes that the Ukrainians shut it down. And a lot of Europeans are throwing up their hands saying, well, you know, it's really complex, cloud of war, fog, who knows. Right, right. right. And then with those kinds of successes, you're right. In, in 14 and 15, they, they take the show on the road into the United States. There, there are some isolated instances, but Jade Helm becomes kind of the, uh, the, the, the core test. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really important to recognize that in Jade Helm, they had the help. Not, and I'm, I'm not saying collusion or planning. Right, right. But, but they, they had the common, a common effort that was being undertaken by alt-right media in the United States. Like people like Alex Jones. Alex Jones, Infowars, yeah. Gateway Pundit, and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and they are pushing the Jade Helm narrative, too. And very briefly for your, for your listeners, the Jade Helm narrative was that a, a very vanilla special, effort, special forces exercise in Texas and some other states was actually a, um, an attempt by the Obama administration to round up uh, political opponents and put them in concentration camps. Sounds weird. Um, but the combination of alt-right media, Russian bots, mm-hmm. created so much concern among some Texans that the governor actually called out something called the state guard, which is a volunteer force. So uh, not like this, not like the national guard. Not quite guard, the national okay, guard. But, but, but by the way, they're both under the Texas military department. So, got it. I mean, it, it's official. It's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. To, to go out and watch the feds so that he can report nothing, everything's okay. He's got it under control if they try anything. Don't don't be alarmed. Yeah, but I mean, the the stories are Walmarts, abandoned Walmarts being used as concentration camps, uh, boxcars transiting Texas with leg irons. uh, Oh, believe me, we were like, we were covering this at the the time. Do you guys have a sense of whether um, Alex Jones and the sort of conspiracy journalists got 
wind of it from the sort of bot accounts? I mean, you know. It's, you know, I, I, I don't have to impute uh, explicit cooperation. And so I, I, I generally use the word convergence rather than collusion. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're making common cause, each for their own purposes. All and right. it seems possible. Right. I mean, again, we have the American political psyche yeah. churns this stuff up with some regularity. So that the Russians do not have to create stories. They, right. have, cre- they have stories created in the American vernacular right. that will resonate with Americans created by Americans. Right. They just pick them up. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one that I talk about at length in the book, Josh, is take a knee. All right. That's created by the president. All right. right. I mean, I mean, okay. It's it, Kaepernick's a little irritating, but he, he but, like captured but, it in a but, phrase, and, right. he, and he put it he put it in front of a, a red hot Alabama crowd on a Friday night in September. Right before he gets back to the East Coast, the Russian bots are alive with it. The American alt right media picks it up, goes pretty racial, mm-hmm. pretty fast, and then it bleeds over to Fox News, and then the then the the, uh, the first viewer sees Fox News on a on a weekday morning and tweets his support for it. Right. Okay, and you've got this circle, this cycle, uh, which ends up dividing the American people. Now, they're not collusion. Everybody does it for their own purposes, the president, the base, the Russians to mess with our heads, the alt-right because they're conspiratorial, conspiratorial, Fox. It feeds their demographic. It helps right. their ratings. But we end up with a, with a much more divided nation. And, and, and I, I like to conclude that little vignette with, and this wasn't a national crisis. You know, they hadn't gotten into the bye weeks yet in right. the NFL. Right. Right. So all 32 were suiting up mm-hmm. the previous Sunday. That was 1,750 athletes suited up for NFL football. A total of six did anything other than stand at attention. A self-imposed wound. Uh, exploited by the Russians, by the alt-right, and we've become a more divided society because of it. And it continues to the day. Let me ask you this. So, okay, one of the things you talk about in the book is during the – first there's the annexation of Crimea, and then you get this sort of like – uh, you know, kind of low intensity conflict in the eastern in part the Donbass, of Ukraine, right? right. Um, and there, and there's always this kind of like everybody sort of knows that the Russians are right. involved, but it's a little hard to. Yeah. And so, one thing you capture there is that all of this stuff happening at at one time, and, and when you were just mentioning before about when during the annexation of Crimea, obviously. The U.S., NATO, any U.S. president is going to want to be really sure before they get into any sort of kinetic, you know, confrontation with Russia for all the obvious reasons. And if you're looking at it and you're like, whoa, did they really annex it? Or maybe there was just a, a, you know, a referendum and stuff like that. You you lose your your sort of... um, you're wrong-footed because it's 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 hard to figure out exactly what's going on. That seems, I think, to a lot of people, seems a lot of like a lot of stuff that's happening in the U.S. right now. Oh, where where like you know, you must have worked fairly closely over the years with Robert Mueller, absolutely. And whatever else Mueller is, he's certainly not like a a left-wing Democratic <laughs> activist or something like that. And yet we're kind of talking about that. Yes, we are. So. What what do we ma- like? It's uh, look. I, you know, I'm, I'm not accusing anyone currently in our government of being agent of the of the Russian Federation. All right, but the tactics, techniques, and procedures 
echo one another. It, 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 is, it is fundamentally, it, it, there, are two, there, are two, there are two kind of major lines of effort here, all right? Uh, the first is very much like the Russian line of effort, which is I can make this so confusing that even good people throw up their hands. In, in other words, Josh, this is a very, really interesting dynamic. I mean, the purpose of, the, of free information is to create good thought that generates good action, all right? Um, we've generally feared breaking that chain by suppressing free information, okay? That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is you're throwing so much information into the funnel mm -hmm. that people become confused and therefore you break the link between reality and action by obfuscating what reality might actually be, not suppressing right. uh, a, a, a particular description of, of reality. And that's, that's one line of effort that the Russians use, and you're right, it's happening right now. The other line of effort that, that right now is more American than Russian is not arguing the facts of the case, but simply delegitimizing those whose facts you don't find particularly pleasant. Right. And so right. You, just, you just go after their validity to have these views at all. Right. So now let me. Okay. So I mentioned before that. Um, so you are you're you're up, you're still in uniform, but you're part of the in a right. public sense. You're part of the Bush administration. And yeah, I'm a political appointee right. confirmed by the Senate. Right. Right. So and then I think in in 2015. You actually spoke at CPAC. Is that do I have? To, I you, did. Okay, right. So, yeah. so I don't know exactly what you're, but you're, you're. <laughs> it was an away game for a former director of NSA. Right. Trust me. Well, <laughs> well, especially this is what is so. Um, I feel like we're living in this sort of like upside down universe where where uh, the 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 public enemy on the right is the FBI, which right. is like that is. I mean, how, what, how, how's this work? Yeah. How where, yeah. how so, does this work? So I talk about yeah. this. You know, the old lines are are all faded. All right, and and, and now uh, it's um, it's populism, all right, which which has different origins and different thought patterns than the traditional, you know, uh, liberal conservative mm -hmm. divide in, in in American life, and so what you get out of populism is kind of the Rand Paul libertarian. All states are bad, and powerful states are really bad. Mm -hmm. And so when I, w I actually went, went to CPAC, it was a debate between me and Andrew Napolitano, the, the oh, judge right, from Fox right, News, right? Right, right, right. And we were actually pretty good friends. But we, we went out there and, you know, pounded the table, literally pounded the table in his best libertarian fac uh, fashion, right? Right. And so I go out. I, he, he leads off. He does three to five. Now, mm -hmm. now it's my turn. Right. Of course, it's a debate. And I begin by saying my good friend, Judge Napolitano, Tano is an unabashed libertarian. <sighs> right, crowd, right, right. Crowd goes crazy, and so am I. And boo! No, you're not. And I mean, it was really audience participation. Right, right, right. And I said, no, no, I am. But I am also responsible for another part of the document. You know, the part that says provide for the common defense. Mm -hmm. And then that was going to be my my approach. But it was, um, yeah, it, it was definitely an away game. Well, so I was thinking how that was, you know, 2015. Would be sort of the last pre-Trump Republican Party CPAC, and and what has occurred to me, you know, when in this book, you uh, you know you talk about Fox News as to a great extent. I mean, you have a part where you say about you know the people who you think are, are solid journalists there, right. and then and I, 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 do a a, I do a carve out. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. But it leaves a lot of people yeah. out of that circle of trust. <laughs> yeah. Tell me your experience of how the 
you know, because now I, I would expect you, I'd expect to see you on CNN or MSNBC more than Fox, right? Uh, you haven't seen me on Fox for a, a couple years. Right. Okay. So, so, and, and in the book, you know, you, you talk about different, like never Trump figures. I know you're part of this organization that I think cla- the, the, the committee to investigate. Right. Uh, uh, Rob Reiner's um, effort. Right. Which, which, uh, you know, I mean, again, in the world we're living in now, you know, Brennan and Clapper are sort of like hardened Democrats when really these are like these are career, career intelligence yeah, you guys. Bet, yeah, who, you bet. But in any case, what is that? What is your perspective on how the what seemed like the conventions of politics for most of the last 20 years have just been kind of flipped around in the last couple of years? So let me, let me give you one example that I actually use in the book. And it's, it's you know, the, the core of the book and, and, and pretty much everything we've talked about mm-hmm. so far, Josh, has been about we're living in a post-truth world in, in which data and, and information is less relevant to decision-making than emotion, preference, feeling, loyalty, tribe, grievance, and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And that's, that's the big shift. And so the high friction points of the current administration, which um, I think embraces and exploits and worsens that post-truth drift inside our political culture. The high friction points of that administration then have been with intelligence, law enforcement, the courts, science, scholarship, and journalism. Mm-hmm. All right, Because you know they can all be imperfect, they can all be wrong, they can occasionally even be corrupt. Right. But at their core, their only safe haven is the pursuit of truth. Right. And if they don't pursue truth, they die. Over, over a period of, right, of time. Right, right, right. All right? Now, the, the, the interesting thing, and back to your original question about strange alignments, mm-hmm. all right, is that as I'm making a, a symbol here in, in the ether between us, I'm holding up my fingers, intelligence, law enforcement, and so on, all right? And we're all bound together right now because we're all, we believe our self-identity is truth-tellers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of my life experience is that those other people didn't include me in their group. Right. Okay? Right, right. They, in journalism and, 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 and scholarship. Well, that was certainly the, the late Bush administration. Exactly. And they were, sh- they were shooting at us metaphorically. Right, right, all right, right. Because of how we acquired information. Mm-hmm. All right? That conversation is totally muted now. And those other communities, scholarship and journalism and so on, are embracing us because we're information people mm-hmm. like them. Mm-hmm. Now, when we get beyond the current dynamics, right. all right, I think they'll get back to shooting at us again. Right. 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 Well, well, there's some natural yeah, right. state versus outside the state exactly, and stuff. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but back to your mm-hmm. premise, strange alignments, I, I haven't had anybody make a run at me in the last several years. I, in one instance I can think of about renditions, detentions, interrogations, targeted killings, mm-hmm. electronic surveillance, all right? Not a one, all right? I've actually been embraced by people who used to do that routinely mm-hmm. uh, because we're – my profession, my tribe, my, my discipline is holding its ground based on – we're database people like you are, which is a completely different alignment right. among right. Right. These, these professions than we've seen for the rest of my professional life. It's interesting because I mean I, I think that, I mean there's a lot of there are a lot of our listeners who 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 are going to be saying right now on as they're listening like Josh what about what about warrantless <laughs> surveillance yeah. you're really blowing it yeah. here we know about that and 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 um, 
it's not what I'm interested in, in talking about now, and I'll get grief for that, and that's fine. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, because it's funny, because when, I mean, obviously, the phrase deep state is what I at least think of originally, about Turk, you know, kind of the, Turkey, the Pakistan, Turkish, maybe. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Sort of, that sort of thing. And obviously, it, it is sort of wild and crazy for, for the U.S., but there is a there is a certain truth in the sense of there is a whole part of the state that continues on even after there's a new president. And sort of like, so just because, and I think this is at some level what our current president has had a hard, such a hard time with, I think in his mind, like I won. So you, you got to support me now. Right. And that it doesn't, work that way or at least hopefully no, it, it doesn't no, it does work not. that way and, and yeah so so i mean when i when i get if i would get that question on the sidewalk out here i said so let me get this right you want the chairman of the joint chiefs the head of the air force the head of the fbi to change every time we have an election in this country i mean is that exactly are you really asking for i mean when you put it that way right. i think the answer is that's not what i'm saying <laughs> right right, right, and right. So, and so you do get this continuity all right and, and so now I, I, I need to be very fair here all right well People in my old job owe some loyalty to this president. Mm-hmm. You know, we know how to count. We know how the Electoral College works. He's the legitimate president of the right. United States. His policies, his priorities deserve to be our policies, our, right. our priorities. Uh, he learns in different ways from his predecessors. We change. He doesn't. All right? We, we, accommodate, we accommodate the president. But we also have other things beyond loyalty, loyalty to the president. All right? And for the intelligence world, it's, it's what it is we do for a living. It's fact-based analysis, trying to create the left and right-hand boundaries of logical policy discussion. Mm-hmm. All right? And, and so, so the great danger, and this is, this, is, I, this is how I get off stage in the book, is that although we must accommodate to every president, we cannot accommodate so far to any particular president that we undercut our legitimacy to ourselves, to the broader population, or uh, undercut our legitimacy to the guy who's going to be president next. Right, All right. right. And, and, and so what you see now are the a president who's put uh, – uh, the, the word premium doesn't even seem to be sufficient, but he's put a premium on personal loyalty to him at the expense of any other consideration. So you've got Jeff Sessions, with whom I disagree on a lot of things, but who never treated me with anything other than, than Southern gentlemanliness mm-hmm. and respect when you know he was in, in, in the Senate. You have Jeff Sessions saying, no, I, and everyone agrees, he has to recuse himself. The president rejects that calculation. He doesn't try to recalculate it. He just simply says, that's not a yeah, real consideration. You have to be loyal to me. And 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 we've never experienced that before. So let me so here's here's what I what, the kind of question I, I've wanted to kind of build towards. One of the as we all know this 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 investigation has been going on for a year and a half now, I guess even like two years if you go back to stuff that was happening very behind the scenes during during the election. There's part of this that is, you know, there's those phone calls Mike Flynn made to right. um, this, the Russian ambassador when just after, you know, kind of hold them back when, when President right. Obama was right. doing the, these uh, punitive sanctions. And there were a lot of things happening in that kind of interregnum right there. And one of the things that, have, that has always struck me is it's clear that the – A, the politicals in the Obama administration, but also the people who may be appointees, but again, the Brennans and Clappers and these and sure. Comeys, um, are 
wanting to do their duty and there's a hand there's a handoff of power but also kind of they, they don't really know quite what's happening or who or who Trump is in right. in the big sense and that is just kind of fascinating to me and about about that 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 really gets into what are our proper loyalties? Our loyalties, I mean, whatever we can say, Trump was elected president. Right. So that right. our primary loyalty is that. Uh, but a lot of weird stuff happened during the election. And so here's here's my question. Um, what do you think uh, – put yourself in – I'm, I'm the outgoing NSA uh, director. His name escapes me. Mike right Rogers. Now. Mike Rogers. When President Trump comes comes into office with, I would think, some pretty legitimate questions, at least, about what what was going on during the election and all these kind of, you know, strange communications and so forth. Um, you know, whether that we don't know, you know, the whole collusion question that's right. still we're still kind of figuring right. that out. But if you are the NSA director or the FBI director, where the kind of you know the 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 rubber really hit the road, <laughs> yeah. um, you have your your loyalty to the Constitution, which means president is your boss. But who's right. the president con- working con- for? Constitution's a bigger concept than yes. just loyalty to the president. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, what what do you think? What do you think those guys, and here I mean guys who yeah. who were heading the the intelligence community, the national security apparatus, what do you think they were thinking or should have been thinking when President Trump became president and now this person who there's some open questions about who he was working with during the election is now president? Yeah, so so I'm not aware, all right, um, of, of, of the folks, Jim Clapper and, and Mike Rogers and uh, Jim Comey and, and others. I'm, I'm not aware of them, um, and I've never heard them say it, uh, challenging the legitimacy of the president, all right? Right. Now, I do know that the story they were t- trying to tell the president was being used by others to challenge the legitimacy of the president. Right. And that, that poisoned their conversation with the president because right. they right. couldn't right. dissociate yep. the, 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 two, uh, the two realities. Uh, so that's, that's one, all right? But, but, you, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the classic is – and now this is a little bit after the president's uh, in the chair. In March, on a Saturday morning from Mar-a-Lago, he tweets out – that Obama wiretapped Trump Tower, all right? And so what do you do now if you're the FBI director, the director of NSA, the director of national intelligence? Well, I mean, what they did, and I tell the story in the book to kind of suggest we're in uncharted territory here. Uh, You had Mike Rogers and um, Jim Comey in open session in front of the House Intelligence Committee simply say that is not so. Now, they didn't say the president was a liar, but they said the president was a liar. Right. right. Okay. Uh, and, and, and they they have to. In the least confrontational way, but right. you say what but the they, facts but are. They have to, they yeah. have to go say that. Uh, there are other instances that I only touch upon lightly in the book because I, I didn't get into the to the inside baseball story myself. Uh, but it's, it's public knowledge that the president calls these guys up and asks them to go public saying there's no evidence of this and that. And they refuse. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. No, we, we can't. 
we can't do that right. and continue to be who we are. And and and, and so there's a, there's a there's a certainly loyalty to the president and the constitutional process, but there's the broader constitution. And and then you know it's not an unfair consideration as to the health of the organization you lead. All right, you can't put the organization in a place uh, where it's viewed to be a political arm. Of, of one particular party or, or individual, you've got to try to keep, do your best to keep it above that. And, and I, I think by and large, they did okay mm-hmm. in very unusual circumstances. I, I will admit, and I, I try to be as sympathetic as possible to Jim Comey in, in terms of the investigation of the Secretary of State, you know, um, my sense is going out there twice once was a bad idea. Twice was worse. Yeah, and and it would would have been better had he done the right number. There was zero, mm-hmm. not one mm-hmm. or two, not right. one or two. But I'm I'm very understanding for Jim. You know, there's nothing in the FBI director's handbook that says when you're investigating a major political, <laughs> you know, or when you're investigating both. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's and 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 so he he did what he did. Right. All right. But I think it was well intentioned, uh, but but maybe not not the right course of action. So. Final question. Uh, the president is out there. The, well, we know the president fired James Comey. We know he tried to fire Bob Mueller and was his staff kind of just waved pushed off. him back. Again, uh, people who have broader loyalties than just to the person of the president. Right. And even – I am not a big I – I am not a fan of Jeff Sessions at all. And yet he has – he has not – I mean – he got pretty close with helping – both of them did with writing that memo to justify right. firing James right. Comey. Right. And yet they have not fundamentally turned the Justice Department over to President Trump. So he's done these things. He continue. I mean he's he has tried to muscle Jeff Sessions. He has slandered every – law enforcement and intelligence agency really in the country, even though he is the executive and runs them, (laughs) at least in a constitutional sense, and just made up all these kind of crazy stories about witch hunts and stuff like that. Why do you think he's doing that? So number one, we're back to the Mm post-truth era in in, in which if I can make it trending or I can make it popular, it's true. Right, right, right. right. And and so uh, even though... Uh, they, they aren't corrupt, even though there probably wasn't any uh, illicit unmasking of U.S. identities, even though the FISA application probably met every possible. I mean, I know something about these things. Yep, yep. They look really normal to me. Mm-hmm, all right. But mm-hmm. we, we've, we've made we've made them criminal acts. Yep. All right. In in, in the dialogue that's emanating from the, the monologue emanating from from the president. I think that's untrue. But I, but I, I do think uh, he wants to delegitimize those who would oppose him, mm-hmm. right? those from whom he cannot get that absolute commitment of, of loyalty. Uh, so to answer your question specifically, I think this is preemptive delegitimization of Mueller's investigation uh, so that he can fight it at the political level, which is, from his personal point of view, the only place it will be fought. Now, doesn't that, doesn't that you know, in a, in a criminal trial, we're not supposed to draw these, draw these inferences 
doesn't this reality suggest there's something to again at the political level he wants a, to hide? I'm a citizen who has a right to observe this and, yeah. and form a judgment. Yeah, yeah you, you, I mean it doesn't show a great deal of confidence as to where this thing is going. <laughs> right, right. All right, so so I, I get that. Yeah, let me let me add another thought though. I can't imagine what it's like working in the White House right now. I've worked in the White House. All right, it's full time day work in normal circumstances, and I mean full-time day, 12, mm-hmm, 14, mm-hmm. 15 hours. And, and now these people go to work. Um, they, they've got uh, an unstable projection of what American policy is because uh, David Ignatius has a, a wonderful phrase, they must respond to the iron whim of the Oval Office. <laughs> okay. I hadn't heard that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very good. So they've got that. They, they've got the Russian investigation. They've got the president's assault on institutions they work with routinely in order to get the job done on behalf of the president. Right. And there appears to be a fair amount of political infighting within uh, the White House itself. And none of that ends, Josh, until Bob Mueller's done. Right. All right. right. And so I, you know, I, my, my great hope is he is able to do a thorough investigation, but he gets his conclusions out there as, as clearly and as quickly as possible uh, be, because the cloud hanging over American governance now mm-hmm. is, 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 is really, uh, really damaging to our ability to govern ourselves. Right. And this is, this is not, a, that's not an accusation against Bob Mueller. It's just a reality that until he's done, right. this isn't done, and we're going we're gonna to be in this, this state of, of, of turmoil uh, because the president cannot find it within himself to just let it ride. Right. I mean, which, and, which other presidents have. Right. I mean, it, each of I mean, Obama's sort of the exception that there was no big investigation. Right. right. I mean, I give Ob- President Obama a lot of credit on this. He, you know, these things do kind of start from the top, right? Yeah. Oh, you, you oh no, you set the tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Exactly. Clinton right. had one. There was obviously Reagan had one. Uh, uh, the president Bush, you served, had yeah. one with the Scooter Libby stuff, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and, 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 and he kept hands off yeah. and yeah. rejected his vice president's request for clemency. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, the uh, uh, General Mike Hayden, the book is The Assault on Intelligence. It's been out for four or five weeks. Yep. Uh, and I have read it. I've, I found it very – the part that I have been most interested in, again, it, are the parts about – this issue of of uh, what we are trying to you know cyber versus information yeah, yeah. and um, that part I, I just I, I found fascinating so um, I recommend it and thank you so much for coming oh, thanks, on our show thank you very much Josh thank you absolutely now don't forget before as we're finishing up here that the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery all right we will talk to you next week internet powerful enough to let your band members in vegas phoenix and rhode island jam like you're all in the same garage 
Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.